politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command on this gloomy Friday in the shadow of Dorian here in Central Maryland. And yes, we welcome all scorned taxpayers, forgotten Americans. Look, you might not have gotten this exchange operation. You might not have convicted felonies in your record or in your family. You might not be an illegal alien, but you matter to us and your voice matters. And we try to give you a voice, even though nobody is listening. You know, one of the people I admire the most in this business that has actually been doing this for three decades, long before I got into it, is Jessica Vaughn. Um, many of you are wondering, who is the advocate for the American sovereign? Um, we could pass statutes often unanimously, unambiguously, to say that anyone who comes into this country is here illegally, they shall be deported, they shall be detained, they cannot be shielded from detection, you cannot harbor, induce, encourage, and yet that's all we have. Yet we're the ones who are sued and we can't sue them. We are the ones who have to pay for them. They don't have to pay for anything. We get fleeced by scam after scam after scam. One of the things that's interesting is as this administration, especially under the leadership of Ken Cuccinelli as the director of Citizenship and uh, Immigration Services at USCIS, tries to at least enforce some of our laws a lot of these scams are being exposed and many of us are scratching our heads thinking, hey, I didn't know that was going on to begin with. Really? We're paying for that? Really? We have MS-13 and uh, the worst child sex offenders applying for these benefits and, and we're still giving them in contravention to law? Well, whoever voted for this? Well, in most cases, very few people did vote for this. And it's a mixture of the courts and past administrations that have just taken discretionary exigent circumstances. You know, in any law enforcement, there's always exceptions to certain enforcement that might not be written. But if someone's dying of cancer, yeah, I'm not going to grab them, throw them in the slammer that minute, but I don't go and codify entire rules for them. But yes, yeah, somehow when it comes to legal immigration, things are different. I wanted to discuss some of our top scams. But before we bring on Jessica, just one point here. Many of you have seen this morning I put out an article detailing how an illegal immigrant from El Salvador allegedly crashed into an ambulance in Nassau County, Long Island, killed an 85-year-old NYPD officer, veteran officer, he's retired, and he, you know, he, he was just having trouble breathing. He wasn't on his deathbed. He was killed in the crash, and... The sad thing is this guy's son happens to be his son got killed 10 years ago from a drunk driver. And I was the only one to break this story that the guy indeed wasn't illegal. I found it with a simple random Google search. Fatality, drunk driving, arrested. I didn't put in a locality. I didn't put in any loaded terms. And I will tell you the number of times that it comes up. It was an illegal alien is incredible. For the first time, I actually have data in my article from several Department of Transportation publications unambiguously saying how prevalent of a problem this is among Latinos. Now, as you well know, 
if you have Latinos who are illegal, legal, and naturalized U.S. citizens or natural-born citizens, it doesn't take a genius to realize that certainly it's going to be more of a problem with illegal immigrants. So if we already have data telling us that it's a problem at large in the Latino community, that means it's very clear it's not less of a problem among illegals, and that means it is very clear, as we have always suspected, they represent an outsized share of these fatalities. Yet, I don't know. George doesn't have my article up yet. I tried to send this to administration officials. How much do you want to bet not a single Republican will use this as an impetus to close the loopholes, the sanctuary loopholes, the loopholes that attract illegals and allow them to remain here? New York just started issuing driver's licenses. Indeed, this man had one because it was suspended just this week. So clearly you had one. Nothing. One-sided narrative, whatever the left wants to talk about, Trump says, hey, I'll, I'll go meet with you over gun legislation. What about sanctuary legislation? We have 9-11 coming up, which was 100% an immigration issue. Just, just today, news broke from the inimitable John Binder of Breitbart. Why he's the only one doing this, I don't know. It turns out this Kazakh uh, immigrant who was caught fighting for or attempting to fight for ISIS, provide material support. One of the many cases in New York City, uh, terrorism cases that have been uh, reported recently, put out in a press release by DOJ. Guess what? He came here on the diversity visa lottery. Remember that? We talked about that. What was it with that subway bomber? Um, October 2017. Not a single piece of legislation has been introduced even at a committee level even with Republicans in charge of all three branches, now two branches, where is our voice? Well, first, in order to get a voice, we have to know what is happening. If the American people would know how severely we are being taken advantage of by foreign invaders in our own country, they would rebel. But it's never reported. So the best we can do is report. So I'm going to bring on Jessica Vaughn here. Jessica is, as many of you know, Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies, one of the few organizations that I personally endorse that I believe is actually uh, earning their keep as a nonprofit, um, wor a worthy institution to donate to. Um, earlier in the 80s, 90s, she was a foreign service officer for the State Department dealing with visas and vetting and understanding these scams. Nobody understands the immigration scams better than Jessica. Hey, Jessica. Are you all uh, bailed out from the hurricane? Thanks for joining us from, uh, by the <laughs> way, Beaufort, South Carolina. Hi, Daniel. Great to be with you. Um, and it, thanks for the great reporting that you do on this issue uh, by taking the time to pull all these facts together and, and publish them so that the rest of us have something to circulate and share with others in our networks. I mean, that's really important that that someone do what you do and, and put it in writing and explain it to people. Um, so um, you're definitely a great resource for, for all of us who are concerned about this issue. Um, but yes, uh, Hurricane Dorian put a little crimp in my plans this week, but all is well in Beaufort. We, we dodged a bullet. I feel bad for people in Charleston and Myrtle Beach and North Carolina who are dealing with it now. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really appreciate you doing this. I know you had to evacuate, come back. Um, we're just getting clouds from it up here. So, uh, you know, nothing much. But um, 
just want to start off real briefly before we go down the list of the most important scams this administration needs to put an end to. Some of them they're trying, some of them they're backing down, some of them they're not trying. I just want, want a brief word about illegal alien drunk driving. Um, I know you've testified before Congress on the Scott Gardner Act. How prevalent of this is this a problem that you've seen over the last number of decades? And why is there no impetus for this simple legislation just to mandate that anyone caught, not any illegal alien, God forbid we should enforce all immigration law, but just anyone caught drunk driving, which is a terribly dangerous and habitual crime. Look, you and I are tough law and order people. At the end of the day, even you and I would not, we're not gonna lock up someone forever caught drunk driving you know, one time. I think we need to be tougher than we are across the board, but they're gonna be out. And it's a habitual crime, and there's a danger of them doing it again and killing someone. But my gosh, an illegal, they shouldn't be here. That should be the last time. Right. That's it. That's exactly it. These are all preventable crimes. Um, and, and there is an association um, between um, illegal immigrants and drunk driving. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that many of the people who have come here illegally uh, in their home countries did not have experience driving at all. So, and here they are now in our communities, uh, able to get access to a vehicle. That's one problem they shouldn't be able to. And they're driving whether they have a license or not. They've broken one law already to get here illegally. Uh, and so they assume that we don't take many of our laws all that seriously and, and don't think about the fact of driving without a license, or if they live in a state where license are, licenses are given to illegal aliens, they think that this sanctions their presence and that we're, you know, that they're not concerned about driving illegally because they know it's illegal or, or excuse me, driving drunk because they know that it's illegal in the way others in our society have become acclimatized to the problems of drunk driving and impaired driving. So it's partly a cultural thing, partly the fact that they've come from a place where they just don't have experience driving. So they're horrible drivers on top of it. Uh, and, and this is a problem. And I think there are variances from state to state because there are states like Massachusetts, for example, where I live for almost 15 years, where they are not very strict about drunk driving. You have to have had multiple incidents of being caught driving drunk before you get a conviction or any kind of consequences for your license. A state like South Carolina, where I live now, takes it much more seriously, imposes um, stricter penalties up front, and, and I believe that that has an impact on uh, our behavior. So um, you, we do see it in places some places more than others. And yeah. um, this gets down to broken windows policing. I think you and I are on the same page as far as the importance of that. Um, but, uh, and, and then uh, it also has to do with, I think, uh, efforts on behalf of um, civil liberties advocates and liberal judges and prosecutors to really downplay the fact of someone's immigration status as a factor or something that should at all weigh into these cases. Um, 
And there's been an absence among groups like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, for example, which we, you think would be engaged in this uh, issue. And years ago, when Republicans had the House of Representatives and they were trying to pass a bill that would explicitly define drunk driving as something that would make someone deportable, these uh, MAD would not endorse that. And, and a number of uh, citizens organizations that you would think would weigh in on this wanted no part of it because it was connected to illegal immigration, because it is connected to illegal immigration. And this is one of those things the public is not aware of. Like most people would go, what do you mean you don't get a, deported immediately after you're caught drunk driving? But it's not... Ex explicitly listed as something that's disqualifying. You can get a green card even if you've been caught yeah. once or twice driving drunk. So, you know, in general, we simply, I, I, I think that defenders of illegal immigrants have successfully whittled away the the, the things that um, the original drafters of our immigration laws put in to take care of problems like this that now are, are not so easy to do. And, and lest anyone, you know, call us racist and this and that. I mean, this is straight up in the National Highway uh, Traffic Safety Administration report from April 2010. Quote, many in the Latino community have not absorbed the message that drinking and driving is dangerous. I mean, that is from their report. Um, they further report that um, research has shown that Latino adolescents are at a greater risk of driving after drinking and are nearly twice as likely to ride with uh, drinking drivers than non-Latinos. Um, another report noted that in 20, 2002, motor vehicle traffic crashes were the leading cause of death for Latinos aged 3 to 8, 11, and then 14 to 34 and 37. Um, and then one final report that I saw, and there's a lot out there, um, and I'm going to call through this over time, but found in the year 2009, nearly one third of those killed in alcohol-related crashes in the state of Colorado were Hispanic. Now, again, what they don't give data on, and this is a real problem with a lot of crimes, is how many were illegal aliens. And I would bet my life on it that the pie was definitely tilted more towards them just because, again, lower socioeconomic status, they live on the wild side, live with criminality. They're going to be more prone than your average, you know, Latino American citizen. So that certainly is a big problem. And, um, well, and there's yeah. this other charade um, that um, proponents of giving licenses to illegal aliens always say, well, this will, you know, we're going to license them and know who they are. And, you know, they'll be trained and, you know, they'll be able, this will make our roads safer because they have to pass a driving test. That doesn't mean they have to have gone to driver's ed. And um, the fact is that, you know, they usually are very lenient requirements for an adult illegal alien to get a driver's license. And, you know, there's no guarantee you know, they won't have sat through all of those classes that our kids have to sit through and watch the videos of what happens when you drive impaired. They haven't, you know, they, it won't fix no effort. the cultural problem that that the NHTSA is talking about, you know. So I want to move things on a little bit from the drunk driving just to the general fleecing of America. Okay, I don't know where to start. Um, you had an audience in front of President Trump, in front of the DHS secretary, ICE, USCIS, CBP commissioners. What are some of the most dangerous slash costly scams 
that are allowing bad dudes to remain in the country, even get status that really wasn't designed that way that needs to be fixed? Well, uh, you know, let me count the ways. There are <laughs> every single part of our immigration system has been exploited uh, and um, loopholes been created and then blown open. Um, I think that today one of the most abused parts of our immigration system is the humanitarian admissions, um, the asylum system, and even the refugee admission system, um, but particularly asylum now because of what's been going on at the border and the decision by the Obama administration to no longer detain people who were showing up on our doorstep without uh, visas, without documents, and saying that they feared return. And um, with the expansion of the definition of asylum to include people who claim things like not just political oppression and persecution, which is what asylum was intended for, you know, like the Soviet ballerina that could get away or the female yeah. pilot in Afghanistan who's clearly uh, oppressed by her government. Very individualized. Yes. Instead, now um, the Obama administration and, and with the help of judges, both in the immigration courts and the federal system, to expand this definition of asylum to include people who claim to have witnessed gang violence and, and thus are afraid of the gangs, um, people who've been in a gang who then say that they can't stay in their country because they claim to have left the gang and the gang lifestyle and want to get away from it. So they should be allowed to stay in the States. Um, people who claim to have been abused by their spouse and afraid of them. And so they need to leave their country and live in the United States to be safe from one individual. People who were extorted by gangs. All of these have created loopholes um, for people to claim asylum that have been um, really been feeding sympathetic judges in and to grant these and then establishing case law and precedent for people getting asylum for these things that were never intended to to be um, protected in any way. These were people who would be sent home. Not, we feel sorry for them, but they shouldn't, that shouldn't earn someone yeah. a green card to witness violence if it even happened, because then there's the other part of it is how do we prove that? Um, and that has allowed people who wouldn't otherwise qualify to be here and to get exceptions. See, that's the thing is our immigration system has exceptions for people seeking humanitarian protection. So that even if you have a criminal record, which would be disqualifying otherwise, if you say you fear return, then often you can get an exception for that. Um, or so, if you're married to a U.S. citizen, because uh, suddenly that citizen would be harmed if you were to be sent back to your country. Never mind how many American citizens you might harm once we let you stay. Uh, but um, there is this big exception for people married to U.S. citizens. So that, that that's another big one you just mentioned. We had two big cases recently um, alleged haven't been convicted yet. But Billy Chemimer, the, the insane case that 
no one wants to talk about. Yeah. Um, 19 accusations so far, 19 victims uh, where he is accused of smothering senior citizens to death with nothing but a pillow. He overstayed his visa from Kenya. And then somehow he married for a seemingly pretty brief period of time, um, an American citizen and got himself a green card and he wasn't deported. And then he had subsequent crimes. DUIs, like we just mentioned, wasn't deported. Um, all those kind of loopholes mixed together. We had the case in Utah, that college student who um, police now believe was killed by this Nigerian who, again, overstayed his student visa, had a very brief marriage, got an LPR status, wasn't deported, went on to murder someone. So obviously we got the asylum. We got the, um, you know, this business that you could be here illegally married to an American. I, I want to say this. One thing that's bothering me is you and I talked about this a lot during the Obama administration. That we said, look, these things were meant to be very sparing. It was common sense. It wasn't meant to be categorical amnesties. But what we're seeing now is a step beyond that. Even if you believed in expanding them, our problem was that if you have a president who wants to abuse it, he could abuse it by with that discretionary action. But now we have judicial amnesty where the courts are now taking discretionary humanitarian um, amnesties and they're making them mandatory. So I don't know if you just saw yesterday, a federal judge just said, you have to give parole to those bogus asylees, even if you believe in that. that that's the, the law says shall be detained if they're an expedited removal, which they should be. And then if you want to, you could parole them in certain circumstances. Why can't the Trump administration say, OK, but we don't want to? Exactly. But that is a, this is another big problem in our system is this uh, this um, uh, this tool of parole which is exclusively reserved for the executive branch to to use at its discretion within certain parameters that were set by Congress. In other words, there has to be either a significant humanitarian reason to do it, or there has to be what's called a significant public interest, which usually is defined as uh, as like someone who's going to help law enforcement solve a crime by being a witness, or there's a, a real foreign policy interest of some kind that we should let someone into our country. Maybe somebody who's a dissident who's being persecuted, you know, in China or somewhere like that. Um, but to make it a category in which, you know, just to fit cases where someone wants someone to be excused from our immigration rules is nonsense. And, and it has been blown open to huge proportions. Uh, for example, in the case of uh, refugees from Vietnam after the Vietnam War, in which hundreds of thousands of people were allowed in under a loophole like this, uh, Cubans, um, in very large numbers, um, you know, all, all kinds of instances that we can think of. Now people are, you know, every time there's a, a natural disaster strike somewhere in the world, there's somebody saying, oh my gosh, we have to suspend our immigration laws so that, uh, you know, we can let them hear. The Bahamas. Um, exactly. You know, uh, the, the two senators, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio, are now talking about um, not only do we, I mean, we're paying a tremendous amount with our Coast Guard and, you know, to a certain extent, we're, we're okay doing that. 
but it's a protectorate of Great Britain. I mean, why is it always us? Like everything has to be us. But you bring up an interesting point. Immigration seems to be different than everything else. So, like, let me preface it by saying this. There's the famous story of, you know, someone driving very quickly on the highway, the road to uh, bring their wife who is about to deliver a baby to the hospital. So like, hey, do you tell the cop, oh, my, my wife's giving birth. So, yeah, I mean, the guys would be like, all right, just just go through. But or more likely, they would escort them. They wouldn't just let them go. That's an interesting point. It's a controlled fashion. Very, very important. It's, it's not anarchy. It's controlled. Um, but even then, it, it's not used to undermine. So essentially, there's no such thing as speeding laws or we're going to proactively invite people to apply for an affirmative status and make a whole thing out of it, right? You, everyone understands that if you would invite people and you say, well, if you're ever going and you have exigent circumstances and this and that's happening, just, just, just speed away. No, if it happens, common sense dictates with any law enforcement, yeah, you take that into account, whatever. But when it comes to immigration, somehow it's like everyone seems to forget that you you need a country and and before you respond i want to remind you of something because you put this out on twitter today about you know they call ice nazis and ice is actually the ones deporting nazis so you reminded me of of an interesting thing that i wrote and we're going to put up on the screen here so you guys could see um i wrote this last august almost a year ago to the day what the nazi deportation tells us about our rule of law and basically this was a case of a guy, Jakub Palij, a Polish immigrant who was 95 years old. Um, he was on a breathing tube. He was carried out, thrown out of the country on a stretcher, and he um, was sent back to Germany. Clearly wasn't going to be a threat. His involvement was pretty low level as a prison guard, Nazi prison guard. I'm not defending him. I'm not. I'm just saying just to frame it. But nonetheless, I think everyone agreed. No one had any problems that, look, the law is an ass. And but the law is a good law. It is needed. And we are going to carry it out. And you don't sit and poke holes. Well, this guy's carrying out a stretcher. No, I mean, that is the rule of law. So how right. come oh, he's com lived here a long time? Oh, yeah. he's been gone to church ever since he arrived. Oh, and he probably he was. was. I mean, he had no criminal record. And but yet people. I mean, you you know we've dealt with cases, guys with assault and DW, DUIs who who go to these sanctuary churches and hold press conferences, how dare you deport me? And then this guy in Colorado went on to kill someone after that in a, a DUI incident because he already had one. It's a habitual crime. I don't understand why somehow the rule of law gets exempted when it comes to this. Yeah, it's the it's because it's immigration and um, because this is so important to the left in building a voting population that is likely to support them, you know, through eternity and about changing our society in a way that um, that is more um, supportive of their agenda of, you know, of statism and, you know, the nanny state and so on. Um, and there are democratic politicians that will admit this very fully for others, it or very freely, I should say for others, it's a matter of, of this 
belief that we actually do need more people coming into our country, whether they buy into this myth that it's to, you know, pay our social security when you and I retire or to, you know, to uh, work in our factories or whatever. But it is a myth that we somehow need immigrants to perpetuate the United States of America when, you know, nothing really could be further from the truth. So I want to move on to one of these loopholes that we're talking about creating out of whole cloth in contravention to law, an entire like entitlement status, health tourism. I didn't even know much about this. So on August 7th, um, USCIS announces that they are going to turn down applications for deferred action. So I, I said to a friend, I said, oh, you mean DACA? He said, no, 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 deferred action. I was like, well, what the heck is that? And then I didn't realize that there's this whole business where they say, hey, a guy is dying. He's a cancer patient. He has health issues. You can't deport him. Now, again, like anything else, American criminals, if the guy is like keeling over while we serve a warrant, well, yeah, I mean, you, you work around that and we, we understand that, but you don't create a whole classification. Here, evidently, past administrations did. You had hundreds, if not thousands, apply. And then prospectively, they came here for the purpose of getting a health care. It's not like, oh, they were here and got cancer. We pay for it. And then they apply for like a card, like here, you can't deport me. And then they're backing down. Could you shed some light on this? That's exactly right. And that gets to this idea of discretionary use of the ability to make exceptions. And um, the real success of the mass immigration folks in turning uh, a, an exception into a rule, whether it's through a sympathetic executive branch or the courts, here you have the ability um, for ICE to make an exception if they happen to arrest someone whose um, you know child is undergoing chemotherapy or the person's in dialysis. They they really they they can, but often won't choose to exercise that discretion. They want to leave it up to a judge to say, okay, we're giving oh. you a stay of deportation rather than an ICE officer saying, well, I'm not going to enforce the law this time. A lot of ICE officers and like cops don't like to be the one picking and choosing who's going to be subject to the law. They will, yeah. they believe that's left should be left to the prosecutors or the judges about who merits an yep. exception. So, um, but you're right, the, 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 um, the supporters of mass immigration have turned this idea of making an exception for somebody for undergoing medical treatment into a benefit that they can prospectively apply for whether or not they're even facing deportation. And to go a step beyond that is to now it's an entitlement to have that grant of mercy from removal and not just, um, you know, apply for it if they were ever to actually be targeted for enforcement. And as you and I know, and I'm sure many of your audience is aware of, that people here illegally actually stand a very small chance of actually being subject to an enforcement action unless they commit a crime and come to ICE's attention that way. If you've come here on a visa told a consular officer that your kid needs medical care or you do and been granted that visa. And usually it's going to be time limited. And with the expectation that you're going to pay for your own medical care, get here, 
and don't leave. Nobody's coming to look for you. But what if but they show now, up at the hospital? Yeah, they, they just now show up. Who yeah. pays for it? That's the big question, and and the it's never won't throw them covered. away. No, no, they're not entitled to have that care paid for. Maybe there's a charitable foundation that would like to pay for that. But in reality, the hospitals are going to kind of brush that under the rug. And us people who have pay for health insurance are going to pay for that care. And it's going to kind of or, or there maybe a state has a fund for uninsured individuals, which, again, comes from taxpayers or from the hospitals that are trying to make a living. So it's all, you know, all these exceptions are made. And then again, once you try to deport someone, one, not too, a few years back, ICE tried to import, deport somebody who was on dialysis at the request of the hospital because they could no longer continue to underwrite dialysis for this individual, made all these arrangements for a special charter flight and for the person's family back in their home country uh, to take care of them when they were deported. And they were even willing to pay for the equipment to be sent down there because that would be cheaper than keeping that person in a U.S. hospital. Well, some uh, legal action group uh, like the ACLU found a relative of the guy here in this country to file a lawsuit against the state of Florida and no one's ever tried since then to deport someone who's undergoing care like that because and, and by the way, it just just to be clear, we are not more virtuous than our forefathers were. We are less virtuous. In 1891, our laws were such that the cost of the deportation was to be carried by the ship liner that brought in the inadmissibles. Right. That we wouldn't even pay for that. Um, When you had cases where when World War One broke out towards the end of the Great Wave, you had inadmissibles. By the way, the court case I'm thinking of Kaplan v. Todd was for being feeble minded. So just, you know, for all the talk that we were so open back then, that's just that was a category we had. They allowed the girl to be housed in a place, you know, during the war and the Hebrew Im Immigrant Aid Society had to pay for all of it. Um, I mean, nothing could be incurred by the American people. And again, it's not cruel. The idea is it's not your money to give away. I can't go into your house in Beaufort, South Carolina and offer that to other people. You could do it. But the resources of the United States are for the people, the citizens of the United States. That's the problem. That is not compassion. And then again, I want to move on to the security problems. Talk a little bit about the fiscal cost. I didn't realize how bad this was. The same way you have the asylum, fake asylum at the border, which most people are familiar with by now, what I'm finding you have on the interior when we wanted to poor people. So I ha have all these cases of MS-13 macheting someone to death, endless child sex crimes, which I'm not sure what's more ubiquitous, that or the drunk driving there. It's a close call. Um, and then I try to inquire about them. And one after another, the ICE guy says, Daniel, give me a call. So I give him a call. You know, I can't I can't really say this, but the guy is applying for a U visa. So I can't even talk about what's going on. Going on. I'm saying, what, so U visa is a victim of crime. I said, what the hell? The, the, the guy's a, the guy's being arrested for child sex offenses or one of the one of them was uh, the MS-13 cell, um, the futon cell click in um, L.A. that butchered seven people to death. And they're applying. We're, we're allowing the most brutal people to remain indefinitely to adjudicate their way into a U visa. Right. 
it's it's putting the fox in the hen house, uh, quite literally. The U visa was intended to um, give temporary status leading to a green card possibly for someone that was willing to, uh, who, who had been the victim of a crime and was willing to assist law enforcement in putting that person behind bars because of that crime. And for that, they would be rewarded with a path to a green card and the ability to bring their families in. Now, many of us thought it was just too generous from the get-go to do that because we already have the ability for parole. Um, but Congress decided to create this program and it has turned into a way for people to launder their status. If they get arrested by ICE, suddenly they wanna talk about how they were mugged seven years ago and should have a U visa. Or, you know, they'll uh, try to shop around to various law enforcement agencies to find one that's willing to sign off on the certificate to say that, yes, they were a crime victim and that they they are being helpful. Um, and under the Obama administration, they actually sent teams of people out to talk to state and local law enforcement agencies to teach them about the U visa and how it can be used and what kind of crime it has to be and what they have to do. And really, and some states have passed state laws to encourage local law enforcement agencies to approve these things just without question as to whether they're is any crime, any prosecution even going to take place to just sign off on it to the point where we now have 50,000 people every year applying for U visas uh, and, you know, and with state requirements as to how quickly these have to be processed. Only now is uh, the federal government, the Trump administration pushing back and saying, look, you don't have to sign these things. It has to be a certain type of crime. They must be assisting in prosecution and you can withdraw it if they're not to give cover to the law enforcement agencies that want to rein in this process. Because as one sheriff told me, he was afraid to sign even one of these because he was afraid he was going to have a line out the door of the sheriff's office by other people trying to replicate that circumstance and take advantage of this. And it's often the worst people because, again, they it's it's the ones. Look, let's face it. We don't enforce our laws here. If you're here illegally, like you said, very slim chance you're going to be deported. It's usually if you have a criminal record. So those are the ones that are most motivated to launder their status. Right. And am I missing something here? I, I didn't know it. Know this until a couple months when I started really inquiring about a lot of the criminal history of the people I catch. And I said, wait a minute, why the heck does Oregon and Washington seem to have a whole bunch of these U visas? I mean, that should be spread out nationally. But isn't this another leg of sanctuary neo-Confederate lawlessness yeah. that because this is a unique visa, that it involves local law enforcement facilitating it, they're doing everything they can to juice up the numbers, right? Right. And there are activist groups also that will put pressure on, for example, prosecutors and judges to maybe dismiss any criminal charges, you know, oh, the, because they're applying for a U visa, they'll get them to um, file some kind of wage theft charge against their employer so that they can say that their employer was exploiting them and so they need a U visa. There's all kinds of things like that that they will try to concoct or make, an, make um, a claim against a police officer and say that they were abused or you know profiled or something like that and that they're suing and therefore they have to be allowed to stay in the United States. 
any angle they can find, they will uh, try to do that with the help of this industry of, um, you know, the ACLU and activist groups and sympathetic judges and lawyers to enable them. You, you know what? You know what kills me, Jessica. We talk about legal immigrants and illegal immigrants, and it's a question of how many illegals are in this country. Could you imagine how many people are in this country that are designated as legal and eventually become citizens? They didn't exactly apply like everyone else with the traditional process. They were 100% illegal like everyone else, and they finagled themselves into status. I, I deal with this all the time with inquiring to ICE. So we had the case here, and you grew, you you lived there a little bit in Towson, Maryland, of all places. You you wouldn't expect this to happen, and and I, this is very alarming to me. Uh, you know, seven miles away from where I live where a cell of seven MS-13 dudes butchered someone in a gang fight and six out of seven, there are ICE detainers on. And what I got very clearly is it's not like the seventh is somehow demographically different. Like he and his family, you know, applied and came in through the visa. No, no. Finagled himself into one of the UAC or something, you know, that's what bothers me. There's so much of this is stolen from us. Well, this is the other issue that's a big problem now, and it is this idea that once someone obtains some kind of status or benefit or even um, an exception for the time being, like they're in limbo-like status, like um, deferred action, that they are somehow off limits to enforcement and suddenly acquire the rights of citizens. That's not the case. And Congress never intended that. And our founders never intended that to be the case. People who are here legally with a green card, even who've gone through the process, even if they didn't start illegally, which as you pointed out, many of them do. Yeah. And, and there is no uh, hard data on that, but I would guess that it's at least 100,000 people a year, at least. And particularly Central Americans, particularly just because an overwhelming majority started in the pipeline right. through the border. And, and either got like amnesty that. or were able, you know, married someone. Um, I mean, I, just on C-SPAN recently, I had a visa overstayer tell the nation that he came on, got a visa, came and he said, I did what everyone does. I overstayed and then I married someone. So, but um, and again, that's not a mandate. It's it's a discretionary humanitarian thing, but we made it standard. Well, and but people, even if they have a green card, they're not citizens and they do, not. are not entitled to all the same protections. And if they commit certain crimes or offenses or are found to have gotten their legal status fraudulently, they too are subject to removal, even if they have kids, even if they became a, a, a got their green card when they were younger, even if they were admitted as a refugee, if they're not a citizen, they do not have all of the constitutional protections or rights as uh, naturalized or native born American citizens do. And ICE often has kind of a hand hands off approach with um, green card holders because it's harder to deport them and they do get lawyered up and do have more due process. But I think that there is an assumption among a large part of the political class that if they have a green card, that means that they are, you know, off limits 
and can't nonsense. No. Yeah. yeah. If you have a green card, we could say you have um green eyes. We we don't we don't like that. You're out of here. Now, the president can't do that unilaterally without a statute, but Congress could write a statute. I mean, it's it's just so sad in a hundred years to see what's happened to our case law. US v. Ginsburg, and an alien who seeks political rights as a member of this nation can rightfully obtain them only upon the terms and conditions specified by Congress. Courts are without authority to sanction changes or modifications. Their duty is rigidly to enforce the legislative will. But this is the problem. It's like a pinata that there's only one side could punch at it all at once. And we have to just sit there. And it, I mean, this is why, to me, this is so systemically broken, like a pincushion with a thousand holes in it. I don't think there's any legislation you could write. We could debate a couple of issues. Maybe what we, you know, the statute could be written better. But fundamentally, you there we need a force multiplier. I'm curious your thoughts. My my best idea, I think, is that if you had one piece of legislation to pass, well, there's a million loopholes. So what do you do? To me, I think it's to give American citizens in some capacity, certainly victims of crime, but others, a private cause of action to sue the other way. You have to detain them. You, what about this law? What about public charge? What about health concerns? What about all the 1182 inadmissibles? I mean, that's the problem. It's a one-sided thing. I agree. For, to give American citizens uh, a private right of action to demand that their laws be enforced. And some states do have this in the form of taxpayer rights, mm. but it's very difficult to make to, to construct a lawsuit that, you know, says that, you know, our taxes are not being used wisely. It, it, I mean, it doesn't always work with taxes. It, it should be based on our rights as citizens to expect that the laws that are that are enacted through our democratic process will be faithfully executed and faithfully enforced. And, and we do need to, Congress needs to create more standing for citizens to insist that the laws be enforced and followed. And perhaps even for um, those uh, sworn law enforcement officers who take an oath to enforce them to be able to yes. take some action. It's been tried before and it ends up being handled as a labor dispute. And um, I, I ICE, think that's, yeah. that's a problem as well. So and that's an interesting point. I mean, you know, Obama told ICE officials to violate the law. They couldn't get standing, but illegal aliens could get whatever standing they want. And while they get the standing, they could remain in the country indefinitely and then have more anchor babies. So then, I mean, but, but and, and the stuff I have seen, I mean, you know, in this rash of Montgomery County, Maryland, um, uh, child sex assaults, seven in one month that are that that Kevin Lewis of the local ABC affiliate caught. And believe me, there is a lot more than that. Um, it's funny, by the way, they they put out a statement saying the Nazis are coming. That's always the thing. We're, we're a bunch of Nazis. The conservative media and Ken Cuccinelli are at fault. They weren't outraged about the child rapes that they attracted um, and, and in some cases actually let go on bond. Um, or the fact that immigrants are so often the victims. Oh, my gosh. I'm seeing criminals that. that they're forced to live within the same community. As. They really are. The sex assault is almost 100 percent. A lot of the murderers, DUIs are more on the street, so it could be anyone. But but the first degree murders are are, are almost always the ones I'm seeing, um, usually illegal themselves. I mean, there's a family of three, a mother and two daughters burned alive in a house in um, 
was it Mecklenburg County or no, it was near there in, in North Carolina recently. No one reported on it. I could go on and on. No one reports on any of this stuff. We're running out of time. I, I'd be remiss to have you on and not talk about second generation anchor babies. A lot of people heard a brouhaha two weeks ago that, oh, Ken Cuccinelli at USCIS ordered that children of American heroes serving in the armed forces overseas, they have children born there, aren't automatic citizens unless they apply, which isn't true. It's made up. Really, they were doing something very different. And that something very different revealed a phenomenon that I didn't know about of America being ripped off. Yeah. Yeah, Um, explain that. So most of us are familiar with this problem of birth tourism, which is when someone from another country comes here to have a baby and by the current interpretation of our of the 14th Amendment um, and almost everyone born here becomes automatically a U.S. citizen. So people try to make it here who are and have a baby and before they go back to their home country will um apply for a travel document, a U.S. passport for their child. uh, And the State Department typically will grant that passport to any child born in this country. And so they go back to their home country and they've given their foreign address as the mother's address. And uh, they the child grows up and and under our naturalization rules, Someone born to a U.S. citizen is entitled to have U.S. citizenship also, but only if they have resided and if their parent has resided in the United States for a meaningful amount of time. Yeah, um, so so let, let, let me just um, just try to break this down a little bit here. So you are saying that Typically, you know, let's just start off with a regular American that didn't scam this out through the phony interpretation of 14th Amendment, move to Europe later in life, have a kid. That kid is automatically American citizen, which, by the way, is more deeply rooted in our history and tradition than being born on the soil. It's through allegiance of the parents. And that's that's fine. Through but blood. It's, it's only I mean, you live there and I'm forgetting. Is it is it 12 years? You have to be a past a certain age and then a certain duration five just, years um okay. which have some uh, five that uh, which have to have been under the age of 14 is i believe the current way that yeah. works but but what you can't do is be born in america as an american citizen move overseas when you're two years old and then you have a kid many years later and then that kid's an automatic citizen no i mean that's not that's not passed on um well it has been <laughs> And considered that way for a long time. What happened was, and it's a long story, but there's a process where they can apply that that birth tourist baby can apply for their child to get um, a visa to travel to the United States to apply to become a green card holder, and then um, apply for citizenship if they if they spend a meaningful time of residency but this idea of residency has not been very tightly enforced and only now are we seeing that um the USCIS is being ordered 
to come up with a definition of residency as opposed to mere visits to the United States. So, so what started were, out as, oh, Ken Cuccinelli is going after the military. No, no, no. This was people who crash our border, have an anchor baby, and then it's not even like they live here. Then they go home. Let's say for whatever reason, they're home. Years later, that anchor baby has a baby and they want to say that's a citizen. Right. That they, as if they, you know, even the parent, the, the original birth tourism baby has no meaningful connection to the United States. It's a passport of convenience. They're citizens. There's not much we can do about that. But they should not be able to pass on that citizenship to their child who has even less of a connection to the United States, certainly no allegiance, neither does the parent really, because they've lived overseas all this time. And so they're uh, cutting off that the ability of people to automatically rubber in a rubber stamp way, pass on American citizenship for generations, even though people have no meaningful connection, but were lucky enough that the grandparents travel to the U.S. to have a baby in the United States. It, it's crazy to allow that. It's suicidal in terms of our sovereignty. And many, you know, as you know, there have been instances when people have used their grant of birthright, you know, being born here, the citizenship they acquired for being born here against us, terrorists, members of Al Qaeda, oh uh, you know, are brag about having a U.S. passport so that they can go back and forth and uh, raise funds for terrorism, commit acts of terror, what have you. Now we're going to try to cut that chain of citizenship by requiring people to have actually spent meaningful amounts of time in the United States before they can pass on citizenship to the next generation. And yet it gets reported as taking away citizenship from children of, of U.S. military uh, service members. I mean, it, it's just... Well, the problem was was that to make this change stick for the birth tourism grandbabies, let's call them, it, it did affect members of the military. So they had to set up a separate process so that they could do it easily. Yeah. But, but that birth tourism offspring could yeah. not. And so this was interpreted as picking on the military when in fact it was, it was the opposite. preserving something for the military. For them that it doesn't get stolen. So it makes their fight meaningful um, that they're not fighting for a, a borderless, a definitionless country, ill-defined country. Jessica, my gosh, I mean, the time has already been blown through so quickly. Um, we just scraped the surface of a couple of these. I really want to have you back to discuss some more of these scams as well as just some of what's going on in Massachusetts, driver's license for illegals, more sanctuaries, letting go the worst criminals, um, the loopholes with the LPRs now where they start to downright avoid prosecution to rather than going with alacrity after these people to get them out of here so we don't have to deal with the recidivism of foreign national criminals to embrace foreign national criminals so that we can't do anything about it. I mean, right. Giving them a more favorable sentencing standard than American citizens, than Americans, more favorable. I mean, if anything, you should go more aggressively, not right. necessarily in a criminal conviction, but more aggressively just to deport them um, so we don't have to deal with them. But I, I don't know what to do anymore. I mean, I joke around. You can have an illegal alien 9-11, which to some extent we kind of did. Um, it, it doesn't get reported. And, and, and even in, conservatives don't talk about it. 
No one talks about this. Well, that's why the work you do is so important to to Ugh. get these cases out there so that those who really do want to try to make a difference have material to share and, and fact-based stories to tell. The stories are very important. Um, yep. the, uh, those who support mass immigration have made effective use of personal stories over the years. And I, exactly. I think our side is just beginning to do that as well. And I think it is effective. It's going to take a while, but yeah, we need to hear these stories. Jessica, where do we find you? Uh, all of our work is on our website at cis.org. And your Twitter account? At Jessica underline V on Twitter. At Jessica underline V. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to put that up on the screen so you guys could see this here. You definitely don't want to miss her Twitter feed. Lots of important stories. Speaking of that, Jessica, stay safe. Hope... Uh, fellow South Carolinians uh, dig out of this. And thanks for joining us so, so shortly after the hurricane. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to talk with you as always. There you have it, folks. That was Jessica Vaughn of Center for Immigration Studies. I am well out of time. Have a great weekend. God bless you all. Till next week. This has been another episode of the Conservative Review Podcast. Mm-hmm.